Well, it's, uh, it's great to see all of y'all, especially if you're a guest. I'm David. I'm, I'm the pastor here. We're glad you're here. Hope you enjoy it. But everything we got going on, you're invited to be a part of. We'd love to have you. If you're a regular attender, you may be wondering why Brian Clayberg, our uh, highly compensated but somewhat fragile uh, worship leader, is not singing. And, and Rachel Gentry, who is a highly talented, evidently much tougher uh, person, is singing. It's because somehow Brian got this mysterious throat injury. I don't I don't really know how to describe it or what it is. He told me how he got it, and I'm a little, I just don't know how to understand how someone got hurt that way. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm shocked it got Brian down. I could see it getting Joe Andrews down. I could see that happening to Joe. But Brian, I never expected that. It's kind of thing, you know, back in my day, we just shot it up with something to come back out here. But evidently, they don't do that. And so I don't, I know I asked his wife, Sesha, about it, and she just kind of, hung her head in shame and didn't know what else to tell me about what had already been said, you know, it's just kind of those things. I don't, I don't really know what it is. I don't know how to describe it, but I know it's the type of injury that will cause ridicule and scorn from the people he works with all throughout this week. That's why I tell you right now. So pray for Brian. Uh, they asked me to pray for him. I said I couldn't with a straight face. So if y'all will do it, uh, that would be a whole lot better to pray for him. This is a fantastic week. Vacation Bible school. Man, this is like the most important week of the year for us. It really is. I've, I've said that throughout my ministry. How, we get the opportunity this week to have kids, so many children come and hear about Jesus. I mean, day after day. So all of you that are working, thank you so much. If you want to work, you still can. If your kids aren't signed up, just bring them. Anybody bring them, don't ever turn people away. Just bring your kids. It's going to be a fantastic week. We're so excited. It's going to be a little bit warm, but that's okay. We're tough. We'll do that. Uh, and so it's a great time. And so uh, this summer we're in a series about Jude, the book of Jude. Began it last week and, and kind of told you that Jude, when, when Jude writes this, as I understand it, I look at it and I say it's all about Jesus. Jude is telling us life is all about Jesus. In fact, I said this. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your life needs uh, to reflect that you're a follower of Jesus. You need to look like a follower of Jesus if your life's really all about Jesus. And uh, in, in Jude, what I shared with you last week, there's this conflict that we're going to see. We're going to begin to see it today. And so we are called, what we're going to see today is we're called into that conflict. We are called in that conflict with Jude verses 3 and 4. And this is what verses 3 and 4 say to us. I got to tell you, last service, I missed this part up so much. I didn't know what was happening. I thought they'd gone crazy back there. Turned out I'm the one who goofed. So I'm just sharing that with you to know that I do have a few flaws. And so I did that one. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. For those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So here's the thing that I want you to see uh, from the message this week, and it's simply this. As a follower of Jesus, sometimes we are called into conflict against false teaching or false teachers to defend and explain the Christian faith. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, especially in the world we live in today, and there's so much false teaching, and there's so many false teachers, you're going to encounter them, you're going to run into them, and you're going to be called into conflict. And you need to be prepared to deal with that conflict. Now, when Jude writes this letter, especially in verse 3 and 4, he lays it out so simply. What Jude gives us in verse 3 and 4 is a purpose for his letter and a reason for his letter. In verse 3, we see the purpose for his letter, and, and here it is. The purpose of Jude's letter is for the followers of Christ to defend the faith. The reason Jude wrote this book 
I mean, for him, it was just a letter. Was that the followers of Jesus, those of us who say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, we need to understand that we have to defend or we have to be able to explain or understand our faith so that we can share it with other people. And so this is what we see. And then in, uh, and we saw in verse 1 and 2, kind of introduced himself. And then verse 3, he says this, Beloved, I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. Now, the word beloved is a strong term of endearment, of closeness. If you have the New International Version, it says, uh, you know, dear friends. But and the dear friends doesn't really express that word beloved. In fact, NIV and other places does use the word beloved. But the idea is one who was close, one who was loved by Jude. These are followers of Christ. These are believers. He loves them. He cares for them. And he was going to write, he says, about a salvation they have that was common. The word common means shared, a shared salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus, not a false follower, not, not someone who claims to be, it really isn't. You have a salvation. And those of us who are saved have it shared. Now, we, we, we may have churches that worship differently. In fact, even in our own church, we have at 8 thoroughly a different style of worship than we do at 945 and 11 and 1215. Um, some churches, you know, we may have some differences on doctrine, but our salvation is something that's common, something that we share. It's what he wanted to write about, but he couldn't. Something changed. In fact, he says this, I felt the necessity to write to you. The necessity, the word necessity means urgency. I felt the pressure. I needed to do something different. So he felt kind of a pressure. He he felt something was happening. He was sitting down to write his letter. He was going to write a letter of encouragement about the salvation we share. And something happened. Word came to him about the people he was going to write to, what was going on at that setting. And we don't know exactly who that letter, who people were when that letter was written. You know, but you know, I, I look at it around the mid-60s, and, and uh, mid-60s AD. And, but something happened. And something happened was important. And so necessity came, and he said this, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith. So I had to write to you now that you contend, and you contend earnestly for the faith. The word contend is to fight, to enter into a struggle. And the word earnestly speaks of the urgencies, the labor, the effort. You have to labor. You're going, you're going to be in for a fight, is what he says. And that fight is about the faith. The word faith is uh, the same word in the Greek that we use for our faith in Jesus, our salvation, saving faith. It's the word pistis. And I've shared this to you many times. Uh, if you've come here at all, and I don't give you a lot of Greek, but this is one word that's kind of important. The noun pistis means faith. The verb pistuo, we translate believe, is the same thing. In, in faith and believing, the faith we have in Christ, believing in Christ is the same. It's our trusting Jesus. But the word faith also at times, depending on the context, carries the connotation of that what we believe, our system of beliefs, the Christian faith, the beliefs of Christianity. We, it's, it's almost synonymous with the gospel. And so here's what he's talking about is the things we believe. There are things that we believe, things we hold on to, things that are important. That is the Christian faith. I'm going to write that you contend for those things. And he says, this is that which was once for all handed down to the saints. What I'm writing to you about, and that you contend for, the faith, is what was given once for all with finality to the saints. The word saints is the holy ones. We would say it's the believers. All of you who are followers of Jesus are, are saints. I know some denominations, and some of you may have come from that denomination, have saints that they, they think are part, you know, up there. Saint this person, saint that person. But, but all of us in the New Testament says are, are holy ones. We're saints. We're followers of Jesus. Now, um, we need to understand that when he writes that, what was handed down, 
Back then, in that day, when Jude wrote this book, they didn't have the New Testament. They had what we call the Old Testament. They had the Scriptures. What they called Scriptures the Old Testament. The Old Testament was important. It set things up about the coming of Jesus. But the Old Testament didn't tell them about Jesus. The Old Testament didn't tell the story of Jesus. The Old Testament didn't tell the doctrines of Jesus. They were in the process of formulating that. They, they didn't have the New Testament because they were writing the New Testament. But they did have some things, and they, and they had things that Jesus handed down. Jesus handed down to the 12 original apostles certain things he taught them. They took what Jesus taught, and they taught it to others. And in time, they began to write these things down. Other guys like, like Paul, uh, who became an apostle, was, had Christ appear to him on the road to Damascus. He was led by the Holy Spirit to write things down. Uh, uh, June and James, the brother of Jesus, would do the same. The guy who wrote Hebrews. Um, Mark and Luke wrote two Gospels. But all of these people who wrote, wrote really early within that first generation of Christianity. And they were either apostles or connected to the apostles. They were either guys like Matthew and, and John and Peter and Paul. Or they were connected to them, like Luke was associated to Paul, and Mark was connected to Peter and Paul. And those churches, those early churches, understood the things they wrote were important. They may have had a couple of books. You know, probably by the time that, Luke, uh, that Jude writes, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke were around, most of the letters to Paul. And a church would have one or two of these letters, maybe, especially if it was written to them. But they didn't have all of them. It hadn't been put together yet. But what was put together were the things that they needed to believe. They had begun to be taught what you needed to know, what you needed to believe. In time, these 27 books we call the New Testament would solidify that. Sometimes people say, well, there were other books also written, but those books weren't written during this time period. They were fraudulent books. They may have had some things that had value to them, but these books stood out among everything. And the early people, the early church fathers understood, the early church understood, these were the books. And you needed to know what they said. And so this is what Jude would say to you and I, I think, today. We might paraphrase it this way. Passionately pursue the authoritative and authentic truth passionately, with great passion, desire, with purpose, pursue the authoritative and authentic truth. I know we live in a time and a culture where many people look at truth as being relative and you create and make your own truth. But the fact of the matter is that all of us believe something is true. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to believe that what the gospels say about Jesus is true. You need to believe that what the New Testament writers wrote about Jesus it's true. You need to believe this is truth. You need to pursue it. It's authentic. It is authoritative. You need to spend your time understanding what's in the New Testament. I encourage all of you to, to read with passion the, the Gospels. You ought to read the Gospels all the time. I mean, every year you should read at least a couple of the Gospels. Uh, over a course of two years, you should have read all four of them, maybe more than once. You need to read the other letters that are also written they, that talk about what we believe and how we believe it. Listen, the Old Testament is important. You should read that. But far too often, Christians spend most of their time in the New Testament. There are some Christians, not, not, not all, but there are some that I know that they spend almost all their time in the Old Testament. Or they spend all their time in the prophetic books trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Listen, if you spend most of your time in the Old Testament... You're not doing it right. <laughs> you know, you should spend most of your time in the New Testament. Why? Because the New Testament tells us about Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. You got to look at it that way. So read the Gospels. Read what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John wrote. Then read those letters. That'll get you where you need to be. In fact, right now, there's so many things out there that can lead you astray. And you might say, David, there's so much stuff out there. What do I read? So let me give you a couple of resources that we use. Here it is. 
I use Logos Bible software. You can go to logos.com, and a lot of our staff use that. That's great stuff. I have it on my laptop. I have it on uh, my iPhone, my iPad, all my smart devices, <laughs> except me. I have it on my smart devices. I have this. You know, I have to learn from that stuff. You can get some Logos stuff for just a couple hundred bucks, or you can, you know, you can spend thousands. I wouldn't recommend you spend thousands. Don't do that. But listen, listen some of you guys, you'll, you'll spend $10,000 to catch a $20 fish, right? So, you know, you, you, can, you do a little bit of this. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll buy $1,000 worth of ammo to go shoot and miss things. So it wouldn't hurt you to have this. The other one is Right Now Media. We'll help you with Right Now Media. It's the video resources that we all use. And you go to our, our, uh, our website, fbclascruces.com. It says more. Tap on the more. Click the more tab. Drop down Right Now Media. It'll take you through it step by step. But don't do it right now. Do it at lunch when you're ignoring your spouse over lunch. Just do it at that point anyway. So. But these are resources that will be there to help you. So here's the thing. Passionately pursue the authoritative and authentic truth. And then this. Know the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith. You need to know what we're supposed to believe. You need, and and if, you'll, you know, if you'll read the Gospels, you'll know it. If you, if you look to the letters, you'll know it. You need to read that and know that stuff. And uh, let me share with you three things. Three of the, the fundamental truths that will help you. I mean... If you've got these three truths down, if you've got these, if you know these, you don't have to worry about false teaching. You'll always be able to evaluate false teaching. The first truth is this. It has to do with the nature and work of Jesus, who Jesus is and what he did. It's the story of Christmas and Easter. Christmas, we know who he is. The incarnation, he is God in the flesh. Fully God, fully man, that's who he is. Easter, we know what Jesus did. The resurrection tells us that Jesus went to the cross and died for us, and that God raised him back to life so that we can have eternal life. If you understand who he is and what he did, according to the Gospels, you'll be okay. Second truth you need to have is this truth, that the Gospels and the New Testament writers tell us the story about Jesus. If you want to know about Jesus, the only place, the only place you can truly know about Jesus is in the four Gospels in the rest of the New Testament. That is your authority. That is the thing you measure every teaching by. Whatever you learn, whatever you're taught, you measure it by this. And the third great fundamental truth, is that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's alone. It is by grace. The grace of God saves you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But in his grace, he saves you. Though, but he used faith. Your faith in Christ Jesus, not in anything else, not any other road, not any other path, not any other way. Those three truths, those truths will prepare you. Those truths will help you get to where you understand the Christian faith, that you can explain it and defend it. So in verse 3, Jude says that his purpose in writing was that they might be able to defend, to fight, to explain the Christian faith. In verse 4, he gave us the reason. He says the reason to fight for the faith is the presence of false teachers. The reason this had to happen, they were false teachers. Jude wanted to write about the common salvation. He wanted to write a letter of encouragement, but false teachers were there. And Jude understood the gravity of the false teachers in this church, the danger they presented. And so in verse 4, he tells us this, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. The idea of being crept in unnoticed or keeping in unnoticed means silently or stealthily. Uh, the New Living Translation says they wormed their way in. It's a good. They just kind of wormed in a sneaky fashion. 
When it says uh, certain persons, it doesn't mean they weren't known. They knew who they were. And here they're unnamed but not unknown. They were people who came. They pretended to be teachers of the truth. The people that were there at that church knew these individuals. They knew their names. They knew who they were. But they weren't expecting them to teach them falsely. Uh, we live in a day and age where you, you, you call a guy like me as pastor. You, know, you, you, can, you can, anybody, you can check them out. You, you can learn where I went to school and degrees that I have. You can see how many years experience. You can talk to churches in my past. Nowadays, you can get online and see sermons and things that I've taught. You can understand better who a person is. But back then, they didn't have all that. Back then, a lot of these churches, they, they just didn't have a pastor at all. The pastor just didn't have a lot of knowledge. They, they were all kind of new Christians for the most part, relatively new. And so what would happen is other Christians would come from outside the church and spend time with them teaching them. We see this in the New Testament. We see Apollos do that in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians. We see, we see uh, Priscilla and Aquila would do that. Uh, Paul sent Timothy and Titus. It was a common and important practice, but sometimes... People would come in and present themselves as legitimate Christian teachers. But when they got there, they would then worm their way in. They would stealthily come and teach what was false. That happens today, by the way. It happens far too often in our churches. In fact, some of you are here today. Because you were at a church, you were a part of a domination that used to preach the truth and used to teach the truth, but something happened. People had come in and they began to teach what was false, and you knew that. And maybe you struggled to contend, but could not any longer. You were not able to help them understand the falseness of that teaching. We have people who come to our church who have left that environment. That's what they experienced. People tend to come sometimes, and, and what will happen is they'll be a teacher or a preacher, and, and they'll talk about the Bible, and they'll use the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible is truly God's Word to us and the authority of God and the authentic. And they'll bring other teachings and other works in to place alongside the Bible. Sometimes they'll, they'll talk about you know, forgiveness and love and grace and all those things, but... The truth of the reality is they don't believe that necessarily comes from Jesus. In fact, they'll deny that you need to have a personal relationship with Christ. They'll deny that you need to repent from sin and turn to him in faith and trust him. They'll come sometimes and, and what they'll do is they'll, they'll discount the, the virgin birth to Christ and say it wasn't a reality. They'll downplay the importance of the resurrection of Jesus, say it was only symbolic. They may come along as well in, in what they do and scoff at the idea of the miraculous or ridicule the concept that you can come to faith through Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. They'll embrace the culture and they'll invite the culture in opposition to God into the church and make it normative. And then they'll teach you universalism that everybody ultimately will be saved. They have abandoned, they have denied the historical and true understanding of Jesus Christ. They have crept in and they have stealthily began to teach. Jude says this in the next part of verse 4. Those who were long before him, he calls them, marked out for this condemnation. He says they were ones who were being condemned long beforehand. This is not new. This happens in our churches and our denominations today. It's been going on since the beginning of Christianity. Most of the books, the letters written in the New Testament were written because of false teaching or false practices that they had to deal with. Even back in the Old Testament, there were always what they called false prophets. And we are told that those who taught or prophesied or led people astray, that they were false, were condemned. That word condemned means judged harshly by God. They get what they deserve. They are in rebellion against God, and they are leading others astray. Jeremiah and Isaiah both talk about the consequences of being 
a false prophet. They are marked out even before you and I know about them. God knows about them. And then Jude goes on to describe them. He describes them three ways. First, he says they're ungodly persons. He uses the word ungodly three times here in verse 4, in verse 15, in verse 18. He is hammering home this concept. To be ungodly is to be against God, to be in opposition to God, to teach that which opposes him. Jude is saying they are certainly ungodly. And then he says this about them. They are the ones who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. Now, grace is the means of salvation. God saves us by grace through faith. Grace is that free gift that God gives to us. It's his salvation based not on our works. It's not based on what we've earned, but it's based on his love and his mercy in sending Christ. They have taken grace. It says they have turned it. The word turn means to change the form of, to twist, to contort. We might even say to pervert. They have perverted grace into licentiousness. Now, in the Greek, the word for licentiousness, and some of your versions have license, speaks of the most twisted and extreme form of immorality or perversion. If you were to, and I don't want you to, but if you were to go on the internet and you were to search for extreme forms of immorality, whatever came up, word licentiousness covers it. So what these teachers were doing was going into these churches this happens today, by the way. I've known people who've gone down this road. And they were teaching, since you're saved by grace, since grace has saved you, you can live however you want. In fact, you can live with this immorality. Now think about it. The immorality was what was separating them from God. The lifestyle they had been leading, especially those who came from a Gentile background, that immoral lifestyle was the example or the evidence of their rebellion against God. And it was also the rebellion. It was the rebellion and the evidence. We were saved from that to a life of faith with God through Jesus Christ. They're saying it's okay to live that life of rebellion. That is why they're called ungodly. This is what they were doing. And he goes one step further. Jude says this, and they deny our Lord and Master, the Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny Jesus. The word master means, uh, it's the word despot. It means a ruler. And he was the ruler. He's our king. He's our Lord. He's Jesus, our Savior. They deny him. To deny is to disavow, is to reject, is to refuse to acknowledge. Now, they would probably argue, we're not denying Jesus. We talk about Jesus. False teachers today would say the same thing. They would say, hey, we talk about Jesus. We like Jesus. We love Jesus. And she would say, no, 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 no. What you're teaching about a lifestyle in opposition to God, you are denying the truth about Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. And there, Jesus tells us what he expects of us. Now, I say this quite often. You don't have to change your life to come to Jesus, and you don't. But when you come to Jesus, you will change your life. When you come to Jesus, you will stop living in rebellion against God. Jesus says, this is what I expect of you. And he writes about the the Beatitudes, the blessed are, the saved are, people who mourn for sin and who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the opposite of what these false teachers would be saying. You mourn over your sin. You thirst and hunger for what is right. He said, you're the light in the midst of an immoral world. You're, you're salt in the midst of an ungodly world. You have read and you have heard, don't kill anyone. But I say, don't even hate them. You have read and heard that you ought not commit adultery. I say, don't even lust for someone. In fact, he would end his letter saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Not everyone who says, hey, I follow you, Jesus, they don't all truly follow him. How do you know they follow him? Because they do what Jesus expects. What is it that God calls you to do to follow Jesus and live a life that exemplifies that following? They, these false teachers, were taking them in the wrong direction. They were doing the opposite. Jude saw the danger. And so he wrote to them, you're going to have to defend our faith and point out the error of their ways and confront them and enter into the conflict with false teachers. We hope you understand that false teaching still goes on. Still a part of it. We have to deal with it sometimes. I have dealt with it over my ministry. Let me tell you at First Baptist Church here, a couple of things we try to do to, to confront that false teaching, to keep it away. The first thing is this. We have a mission to honor God and get people to Jesus. Our mission in life, our purpose, the vision we have is to honor God in all things, get people to Jesus. You hear me say this all the time. Why? It's important to what we do. Everything we do, we say, does it honor God? Because false teaching never honors God. False teaching never honors God. If you seek to honor God, you won't do what is false. And then to get people to Jesus is why we're here. The Gospels tell us all about Jesus. We want people to come to the only one who can save you. If we're focused on getting people to Jesus, we won't be able or we won't be focused or we will shield out, we'll filter out all that which is false about Jesus. And so honoring God and getting people to Jesus helps protect against false teaching. The other thing we do is we get people involved in worship, service, and community. You hear us talk about that quite often. We look at worship, service, and community like three circles, big circles that interconnect like a Venn diagram. If you don't know what a Venn diagram is, later on when you're at lunch, you can also Google that up, but don't Google it up now. It's too late. But there's circles that interconnect. You can enter our community of believers, our fellowship of believers, through any of those avenues, worship, service, community. But we want you to be involved in all of that. Sometimes people say, well, what about evangelism? Well, the getting people to Jesus is evangelism. But if you're involved in worship, service, and community, you'll guard against false teaching. You'll, you'll protect yourself against that which is false. That's what we seek to do here, to help you not be caught up in what is false. But not only does First Baptist have a responsibility, you have a responsibility to guard against false teaching. So I'm going to suggest two things that you need to do. The first is this, evaluate everything you read or hear about Jesus by what Jesus said in the Gospels and what the New Testament authors wrote. You should evaluate everything you read or hear by what you find in the Gospels. You can even do this message. You can get messages online. You can go home later on and look it up. You can evaluate everything I said. You can read the, all of Jude, and you can take what I said in any language you want. and Take all your Greek helps and all that and evaluate all of that. And you can, you can go and you can read the rest of the New Testament and see if anything I say about false teaching or about Jesus it disagrees with that. You can do all of that. You can evaluate it. Go, it's fine. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. I come out okay on this stuff. You're not going to find anything. When something seems odd... Something seems strange, new. You go evaluate. There's, maybe, there's probably something wrong. You should evaluate everything you read and everything you hear, especially that which seems new or a little bit strange or a little bit different. The other thing you need to do is you come across false teaching and you enter into the conflict is you need to love, pray for, and talk to people who believe and teach falsely. You're going to meet people who believe things and you know it's false. You may believe some. Meet some who teach what is false. You love them. You always love them. Certainly pray for them. But you got to talk to them. You got to talk to them about truth. What is really true? Let me just give you three questions. 
And you can ask someone that you know is believing something that's wrong or teaching something that's wrong. Ask them, why do you believe it? Why do you believe that? When someone says, you know, it's a strange thing, why, why do you believe that? Ask them where that belief came from. Who came up with that? Who, who came up with that idea to believe that? See if they even know. The third thing you might ask them is, does it agree with the New Testament? Hey, does what you're saying agree with the New Testament? Those three questions will help you. So here's what you need to understand. I know we would like to not have conflict. I get that. But conflict with the culture around us exists. And sometimes that culture seeks to work its way in to the church. I say all the time, you need to encounter a culture and love the people of that culture, but you can't embrace them. You can't make that culture normative within the Christian faith. So here's the thing you need to understand. Jesus and the gospel create tension and conflict. You're going to have conflict. With the world in opposition to Christ, you're going to have conflict when that world seeps into the church. Jesus tells us we will have that. You love them? Yeah. You pray for them. But that conflict is real. Some of you, like I said, today are here because you've struggled with false teaching. Maybe it entered into a church you were a part of, or maybe it's been a part of your life and you're seeking that which you know is true. And I get that. Some of you have family and friends who believe something you know is false. Maybe they even teach it. Maybe they even practice that. And it's a burden to your life, and I understand that as well. Some of you may, in your background of the way you were raised, have false things there, and you're always trying to escape it, and you never quite can. I understand that as well. Listen, the thing you need to understand is that Jude has challenged us, and he has called us to deal with the conflict that results because of false teaching. For some of you, that may mean that you need to give your life to Christ. You need to trust Jesus to be your Savior. The best way for you to know and believe what is true and not what is false is to trust Christ with your life. So if you never have trusted Christ, we offer you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. Even now as I speak, in a moment in our invitation, there'll be a few people up here. and You can give your life to Christ. You can pray with Him, talk with Him. Some of you have people you love and care about. And you're wanting to know, what in the world do I do to help them deal with false teaching? Well, you need to commit to Christ to enter into that conflict. It won't be easy, and it may be a struggle. But if you will pursue the Word of God, and you will know the fundamental truths of the Christian faith, you'll be able to help them. If you want, we'll pray with you about that. Ladies, we'll even have women here to pray with you if you want, but we'll pray with you to help you get down that path to, to helping those you love and care about. And if you need to escape that false teaching, we'll pray with you. Make the commitment to leave that behind. If you want to join our church, we'd love to have you join our church. But here's the thing. When you go into this world, there is going to be conflict with the Christian faith. You are called to enter into that conflict. Lord, we thank you for Jude and what he wrote. We thank you, Father, there is truth there. We thank you, Father, that he has helped us to understand what the false teaching will be and how we are to deal with it. I pray in the name of Christ, and I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you call us into that conflict, we'll have the courage and faith to enter in. We'll confront it with love, and we'll confront it, Father, with prayer. But we will speak always what is true. Help us to know truth. Help us to live that truth and pursue it with great passion. When you call us into the conflict, we will go, and we will serve you and honor you. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front to greet you. Greet you. You come.